travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Here on Talk Travel Asia, we explore a ton of locations, but we also discuss many things to do when you visit them. They're often off the beaten track, sometimes well-known, once in a while well-trodden, but almost always worth a look and certainly a conversation. But then there are the many other places that are sometimes discovered by accident, perhaps on a fourth visit or because a friend in the know put you onto it. These hidden gems are often the ones you enjoy and remember the most. While risking putting some of our favorite hidden gems on Traveler's Radar, we're willing to take the risk. From Bangkok, Thailand, I'm Scott Coates, and who is my co-host? Hey, Scott. Trevor Range is here in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, and I am always love that we come up with new episodes because we always think we're going to run out of ideas. We have a quick brainstorm, and here we are, hidden gems. So yeah, I this think is a this good is one. A you know, bit of- yeah. But again, like you mentioned in your intro, there, like just like we did an episode called "Somewhat Secret Beaches." Like I'm always mm-hmm. hesitant about sharing some of my secret spots or hidden gems because the more people you tell, then the less secret they are. You know what I'm saying? Indeed. And there's lots of those things that happen. You know, once they're in a guidebook, you know, it's ruined, right? Uh, You have a a special Lonely Planet name for that, don't you? Yeah, I call it Lonely Planetivity, which is this force that draws people to the places that are mentioned in the guidebooks. Uh, But the good thing about that is that that takes the people away from the hidden gems, you know, like there'll be a place that's in the Lonely Planet and everybody will go there. And then just down this little alleyway across the street and right around the corner, there's this amazing spot that nobody knows about. And once you discover those places, um, that's really, you know, the, the secret to travel is finding those hidden gems. Yeah, and indeed. And for me, you know, hidden gems are something that you'd really only probably know about if you live in an area for quite a while. Uh, It could be something you stumble about, often not in a guidebook or on too many travel sites. Uh, And it could even be something that people don't, some people don't like so much, generally maybe a little tricky to get to. Maybe when you look at it at first, it doesn't seem there's anything there. But when you kind of slow down, stick your head in, take a closer look, the gem is sort of exposed. But the nature of gems, as you kind of said, is they can't be spoken about too much. They need to be a bit mysterious. Yeah. So speaking of mysterious, uh, why don't you tell us? Uh, I don't know if it's mysterious. Yeah, you know, I was just thinking that uh, I wish, uh, you know, people are listening to the show, whether they're on SoundCloud or iTunes. Um, we love sharing our information and our insight with our listeners. Um, but if they could pay us back just by going down to the bottom of the app and giving us a rating, uh, maybe a little bit of a review, uh, then I'd feel a little bit more comfortable about going ahead and telling them where my secret spots are. Yeah, so Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you're listening, please give it a review, a positive one, but also financial love. Traveler and I pay out of our own pocket to keep this thing going. You can help keep it going by going to patreon.com, searching Talk Travel Asia, and sponsor from as little as $1 a month and upwards. Patrons get special little things every couple weeks. Could be a video message, could be a short special podcast episode, maybe some photos, but please do that. Help us out. So Trevor... I want you to share, like, how do you think about and come up with your hidden gems? You have a bit of a criteria, right? 
I mean, I don't know the criteria, but, you know, I, I think I'm pretty good at finding hidden gems. You know, I, I like to travel to uh, new places often. I like to revisit old places, but I, I really do like to explore. And that might go back to, you know, my travel writing days a lot. But, uh, you know, one of the first things I usually do when I arrive in a destination is to explore the neighborhood around the hotel by foot. You know, on the day that you mm. arrive, it's a good, just a good way to stretch your legs, but do a loop around the block, maybe a larger loop around a few blocks, cut down a little couple alleyways here and there. Uh, look for some little local interesting restaurants and bars. Uh, and while, while you're doing that, don't be afraid to, to wander down those little alleys, uh, preferably in the daylight hours. Uh, Asia's pretty safe, but uh, there are lots of little alleyways in Asia, and some of the coolest things are actually hidden. Um, another thing I like to do is uh, rent a motorbike uh, and explore the surrounding area around the town that I'm staying in. Uh, of course, you should wear shoes and helmet. Um, but, uh, you know, the more exploring that you do on your own rather than what your guidebook's telling you or what your friends told you you should do, um, you're more likely to, to find one of these hidden gems. Another thing is to ask locals where they like to go. Um, you know, I'm a pretty sociable guy. Uh, I like to, to, to talk to the people who work in the hotel, you know, the people who, who work in little restaurants and shops around the hotel. Um, ask them where they go. What's their favorite place to, to have a picnic? What's their favorite waterfall or beach? You know, uh, these local people know what's best. Otherwise, I'd just say, you know, Try not to use your guidebook as much as possible. You know, if you're looking for hidden gems, that is, uh, you know, like websites, uh, you know, we, we had Stuart McDonald travel fish on. That's a great place to, to find out, uh, where you might want to stay. Um, but when you're going to look for hidden gems, uh, try and avoid the advice of where everyone else is telling you to go, uh, and, and try and find it on your own. Yeah, I like can do some of the ones you mentioned, you know, pull friends, people that have been living and working there for a while. And again, asking people at those hotels, front desks, et cetera. But something I've always enjoyed doing and works quite well is I pick something about an hour walk from wherever I'm staying. And then I just start walking there and you end up stumbling upon some hopefully hidden gems along the way and just see those things that you didn't think you'd see. So, um, Shall we get into some of our hidden gems, Trevor? Yeah, as we get into them, you know, what I realized when I was like, ooh, like, I got to I gotta think of some hidden gems to share with people, you know? So I started looking on Google Maps, and then I realized, you know, a lot of these hidden gems, like, they're not even on Google Maps. Some of them are now because I discovered them before Google Maps even existed. So I'm like, oh, wow, that's easy to find. I thought it was, like, hidden, but it, but it's not, you know? Um, so there's a couple in here that I, I don't know. I hope you can find it, and I'll try and explain to you. But uh, we couldn't necessarily always pick the most hidden gems I don't think because we had to try and tell you things that we could actually tell you how to find. So why don't you go ahead and start, Scott? Yeah. And these are going to be a collection of, it could be a place, it could be a dish of food, it could be a thing. We're going to start in Thailand. And one is something I just discovered in kind of mid 2020, and it's called Wat Putok, and it's in Bung Khan province, one of the really not so well-known provinces for travelers. It's in the far northeast of Thailand. And what it is, it's a series of walkways and wooden ladders that have been built at a kind of like Whoa. rock hilltop temple by monks over the years. And it is, it's wild. Like we spent probably an hour and a half, two hours kind of walking along and around up and over this, this, it's not quite a mountain. It's bigger than a cliff, but it's harrowing, man. Like you go up ladders and some of these walkways and it's pretty, it's pretty nerve wracking, but that was a good one. Mm. I hadn't heard of in my many years here and it was well worth the, the kind of long drive to get there. So that's my first one. Uh, how about you? What's a hidden gem you like in Thailand, Trevor? 
You know, I was almost going to do like all beaches and islands for Thailand. Uh, and then I realized we already did, you know, some of our favorite beaches episodes twice now. Right. Um, but I, I couldn't help but mention the, the Andaman coast of Panga. Uh, and mm. not to be confused with Koh Phangan, which is the island uh, north of Koh Samui. Pangna is the province uh, that kind of wraps around Phuket. But I'm talking about the coast that's north of Phuket. And, uh, you know, it became famous uh, in, in 2004 when the Boxing Day tsunami uh, basically destroyed the tourist town of Kaulak. Um, but right before then, I was working on the Fodor's travel guidebook, the Beaches and Islands chapters. And, and Kaulak was just about to become like a mainstream destination before this happened. But uh, that whole coast, really, aside from Kaulak, which is which has rebuilt itself now, is beautiful. I mean, if you're going to get a flight to Phuket, I wouldn't even stay in Phuket. You can rent a car from Phuket Airport and then you just drive straight north from there. And uh, driving north from Phuket, like I, I put a pin on the Google map that you'll see on, on our show notes. Uh, but there's all these nice little beaches right along the Panga coast uh, that are beautiful and they're they're almost completely untouched. There's no people there. They're great little spots to take picnics on the way. It's a beautiful coast to drive. Uh, I drive all the way up to Renong province and uh, stop at little beaches along the way. I think uh, that coast there is is not quite hidden, but uh, you know between Phuket and Kaolak, like and Krabi, which draw so many tourists. If you get your own car and drive north, there's some really hidden beaches. There. That, that you'd really appreciate. Yeah, I second that one. That is perfect. And like you said, either going from Phuket up to Ranong or Ranong to Phuket is a perfect way to do it. Mm. My next one is Route 1148. And it's a stretch. I'm not sure how long, maybe like 30K, 40K between Paiyao and Nan provinces in northern Thailand. It was formerly known as the Smuggler's Route. So one of the last communist holdouts in Thailand uh, was Nan province, which is in the far north kind of borders Laos. And this route in between apparently was used by smugglers, you know, as, as early as the 80s and stuff like that. But there's tons of curves, stunning vistas, limestone mountains, fantastic for driving a car, a motorbike, or cycling. I haven't cycled it yet, but it's high on the list. So route 1148. Nice. Uh, again, I found this next one looking on Google Maps and, uh, it's Khao Samroyot National Park. Mm. Have you been to Khao Samroyot, Scott? I have been there a couple times. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, again, it's kind of hidden in plain sight. It's just south of Bangkok. It's on the way to the beach town of Hua Hin, which many people go to, uh, by train. Actually, south of there by about 45 minutes by car. Is it south of Wahin? Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, again, <clears throat> it's a little bit far for a day trip, but uh, if you're traveling by land uh, and headed south from Bangkok, I think uh, this is a great destination. It's one of the few places in Thailand with wild elephants. Um, Thailand's got some spectacular natural beauty and their national parks are pretty spectacular. They've done a pretty good job of preserving, uh, these different parts of the country. And, uh, you know, there's a number of national parks in the south there, including Khao Sok, which is, uh, in between Suratani and Panga province, uh, not so far from Khao Sam Royot. Uh, but I definitely think that, that both those national parks, uh, maybe not quite hidden, but not super popular with, uh, overseas tourists. And, and, uh, and that, that's sort of a good thing so i think uh you know hidden from the foreign consciousness let's say uh, and worth checking out good call there trevor and there's actually easily a couple days worth of stuff to do there so mm. good one my next one is right in bangkok and it's an area that i kind of really discovered uh, in 2020 it's the area called klong san and this is an old area on the chao Preya river on the western banks um 
it encompasses also the area where Tading Dang Fresh Food Market is. So to get there, easiest way is to go to the Green Iron Bridge near Pat Klong Talat, the flower market. Just walk over it to the, again, the western side of the river and then pick out little alleyways wandering through this old community. And it's fascinating. I love jogging through there, but you can ride a bike through there. Absolutely fantastic. Very few travelers. And you can kind of make about a 4K walk of it from the Iron Bridge. Just keep heading south. You'll end up popping out by Icon CM, the big new mall. Then you'll end up uh, at this new SkyTrain that's open there. Or you can walk back over Sapan Taksin to the other side in the SkyTrain there. So really, really neat, fascinating area. Klong San. All right. I've been there and I do like that area. That, that's a pretty cool spot. For my third one for Thailand, again, it's again, not really hidden. I think this one's like hidden in plain sight. And it's the ancient city of Sukhothai. And you went to Sukhothai not that long ago, didn't you? Yeah, we just went there in December 2020. And I hadn't been in like 15 years. It was fantastic. Yeah. And no, and, and that's what I'm saying. So even people who live there don't travel there that often. Visitors almost always go to Ayutthaya, which was the capital city um, right before Bangkok. But Sukhothai, uh, I think, is even more spectacular. Sukhothai is up there for me with Angkor and with Bagan and, and kind of magic, you know. And uh, it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Uh, it's famous among histo- art historians um, for its beauty because the city wasn't destroyed by an invading army. So uh, a lot of the statues and everything are still in place. And if you go there during the green season, you ride a bicycle around. It's it's spectacularly beautiful. I, I think it's amazing. There's an airport there, so you can even fly in. Uh, the flight's not cheap. But one of my little secret spots is the Sukhothai noodle shop at the airport. Uh, Sukhothai noodles are like, they're, you know, Thailand's got a lot of good food, but Sukhothai noodles are, are great. And, uh, the noodle shop at the airport, I'm not sure if it's still there. So if it's not, um, th- this, there's some noodle stalls around the southeast corner of the old city wall. And, and that's the place you want to go in Sukhothai for the Sukhothai noodles. Yeah, I second you on that one. It's, it's sort of, you know, two thirds of the way to Chiang Mai. So I think a lot of people skip it because they just fly up. North, Chiang Mai yeah. or Chiang Rai, but yeah, Sukhothai is well worth it. Well, we're going to go to Cambodia for our next country. And my first hidden gem is one I've talked about a few times on this show. You probably get tired of it, but I just love walking, running, or cycling on top of the Angkor Thom wall. So in the Angkor Historical Park, there's Angkor Thom. Most people know that area because of the Bayon Temple with all the faces. That's just one complex. But around that Angkor Thom city is a fortifying wall that's three kilometers on each side. You can kind of at any of the gates, kind of look to the left or right, follow a little path up on top and make your way around the top of it. I love that. It's quiet. It's beautiful. One of my favorite things to do. Yeah, I'm going to go with that. That my my one of those two, like yours, is kind of just exploring the smaller temples around Angkor. You know, everybody goes to the Angkor temples. They go to Angkor Wat. They know about Angkor Thom, maybe Bayon and Taprom. But some of the smaller temples are spectacular. They're really cool, either within the Angkor Park or in the area surrounding it. Uh, Inside Angkor, there's a temple called Bakse Chamkrong. That's one of my favorite places to start the morning. Uh, And then I like to do like just by bicycle, like along the top of the wall like scott said or walking uh you know if i I took our friend mike uh harishu i took him from the back of the royal palace enclosure uh over to the bakong temple the rear side in the green season there and it's just so beautiful it's so beautiful back there uh in the green season and and it's just kind of away from a lot of the people Uh, otherwise uh, i recently took an electric bike up to a temple called bente tom which means the big fortress 
And hmm. I had to ride through these little tracks, be in between rice fields. And I kept checking Google Maps, but I didn't have a good signal. And I, and, and it's kind of like fun trying to find these places. And it really was a big fortress. It's in the middle of these rice fields. There's no one around. It's almost in perfect condition. Um, otherwise, uh, you know, there's a, there's a Jeep outfit there and, uh, I, I did it a couple times, uh, with my friend Ruben and once with my, my mom and dad, uh, to a temple called Trepping Pong. Uh, when I went with Ruben, uh, it was the green season and the Jeep had to like drive through like these flooded roads and then the moat was full of water and we had to hike up our pants and walk through the moat to get out to the temple. So uh, I put these on the Google map so people can find them. But, uh, you know, exploring some of the the lesser known temples that uh, people don't visit is, is a much more magical experience in many ways. Yeah, I haven't been nearly as many times as you, but you've just mentioned quite a number I haven't been to. So they're going to be on my list for next nice. time I get to go there. Uh, my next one is one you put me on to. If you go to Kampot, the charming town in the south, kind of south, uh, east-ish of Cambodia, follow the river, head up the river by Ramok or something. There's a place called the Greenhouse and sits right on the river. And what I kind of part of me loves is there was an old bar in Phnom Penh called Snowy's or Maxine's. The owners of Greenhouse took that building from Phnom Penh, have moved it to Kampot. Now you can sit there, have like kind of semi-finer dining, but they also have a little dock on the river. I went twice with my parents in 2019, and we opened a bottle of wine, sat along the river, kept jumping in and out of the river, having a swim. Very chill, civilized, nice food, just a really nice place to sit and waste away, you know, an afternoon. Nice. Yeah. You know, I do love that spot. It is one of the best places to swim in the Kampot River. And, uh, my second place for Cambodia is also a swimming hole. Um, and it's up in Ratnakiri province and Ratnakiri, interesting enough, means the mountain of gems. So this is, uh, certainly a gem of a destination. There's a lake up there called Yek Laum and, uh, it's a volcanic crater that was formed 700,000 years ago. And, uh, it's perfectly round. It's surrounded by forest. It's, it's such a beautiful place, uh, such a great place to go swimming. Um, and, and that, that's in the capital city of Banlung. And from Banlung, I think that's just a great place to go exploring. I used to go, uh, like off-road, uh, dirt bike riding, uh, up to the north from Yaklaum up into like the hill tribe country. And, uh, it's so beautiful up there. I mean, that's a place for, I mean, they literally dig holes to do gem mining, like the old fashioned way, just like digging a hole and then digging tunnels and then bringing up buckets of dirt and sorting through it to get gems out. Uh, but last time I was there, uh, we went out to, to this river where they're building this new bridge. And as we were looking down on the river, uh, the guy who drove us out there was like, you know, we used to take a boat and we'd go up the river and there's this island where local people like pan for gold. And I'm like, we can get a boat. So then we went and we found a guy with a boat and we we got a bunch of beers and some food and, and we took the boat up the river and we found this island. Um, and I even found some gold, you know, I was looking down and I put my finger in the sand and a little speck of gold right there on my finger. So uh, beautiful little swimming hole, lots of Lots of hidden gems to explore up there in Ratnakiri province. So I'm going to throw one in, in Yangon, Myanmar. And I think this is in the guidebooks and on the travel sites. But I think it's really, really worth doing. And, that, and that's the old circular train route in Yangon. So basically, the British built this you know, train route. It takes about two and a half hours. It goes really slow, kind of like a ring road, but it's a train. And people get on and off it to commute between places and to work. So make sure you use the toilet before because there's no toilet on it take your water and a snack but then just sit there and you will see like the real people getting on and off the train getting on with things they're going to sell wherever they get off it's to me a real great way to get a, a sense of working people and a real pulse for the city i love that one 
And uh, then next, I think you want to go to Laos. Is that right, Trevor? Yeah, I had to kind of skip over Myanmar because I hadn't been there in 20 years. And I remembered this really cool place, but I'm like, there's no way. I mean, even if it's still there, there's nowhere you're going to find it. So then I was looking at Laos and I used to spend a lot of time in Luang Prabang. I used to go to Luang Prabang every year for about a month. And, uh, and then same with Luang Prabang. I haven't been there in over 10 years, but I was like, ah, oh, there was this great place that did like a, it, it was like a lemongrass sauna. It was like a steam room that, that they, they like old fashioned, they built a fire, they put lemongrass in the fire and they created steam with the lemongrass. And then and in the winter in Luang Prabang, it's quite cold up there. Uh, let's say, you know, like uh, high forties. Yeah. Maybe 10 no one degrees. knows what that is about. I don't, 12, I don't even know. Degrees. Is it? Okay. Maybe it's 10 degrees. I have no idea what Celsius is are. So, but I know that it was cold. And after you got out of the steam, what you do is they had like these little like charcoal kind of barbecues laid out on the ground with like a chair with wooden slats like laid out like a beach chair and what you do is you'd lay on top of the barbecue and drink tea and watch Lao soap operas and and then you'd go back into the sauna so i looked online and on google maps there is a place that's called lemongrass sauna but on the photos i didn't see any of these barbecue beds because you want to lay on top of these hot like on the hot coals but like above the coals because it's cold there you know so i don't know whether they've just upgraded over the 10 years or so that i I've been away from Luang Prabang, but maybe our friend Andrea can help us uh, put it on the Google map. Or if you're in Luang Prabang, try and find the, the lemongrass sauna that has the, the barbecue beds too. I'm going to stick with Luang Prabang and in Luang Prabang, but Lao for that matter, people love to play batak. That's kind of the French game of bowls where you throw a ball, try and knock other balls out of the way and get as close to a small ball. So you'll see people playing it, but there's actually lanes kind of like going to the bowling alley and i just think going to you know play a game of patank you can walk up to a center you pay by the hour i believe you can order beers and just go knock out a game of patank it's a lot of fun yeah i'd say along the riverside when you're when you're driving along the river in long prabang there's a couple of places uh, there where i usually see some of the boat drivers and stuff playing i think that would probably be a cool place to play um my other place again is is not any particular place but i remember last time i was in champasak uh, which was a few years ago now champasak Sak is uh, more towards the south of Laos, um, but uh, I love Lao food. Uh, one of the things I love about Lao food is sticky rice. Lao people love to eat sticky rice, and they don't just eat it with like mango, like the Thais only do. Uh, in Champasak, I found a place that made sticky rice risotto, and it was mm. amazing. It was so good. So I don't know the name of this place, but Champasak is not a big town. So just walk around and look at all the little restaurants and try and find the place that sells sticky rice risotto. Uh, otherwise, uh, Lao people seem to like Turkey a lot more than people in other Southeast Asian countries. And I remember in Luang Prabang that I had green curry turkey, which is similar to like a Thai green turry, curry, but with turkey in it instead of chicken. So it's not necessarily a hidden spot, but this is a hidden gem. Green turkey curry. I mean, it's our green turkey. <laughs> turkey green curry and sticky rice risotto. Those are two things to look out for when you're in Laos. I have not had either of those. So those are indeed hidden gems. I got two more short ones here. One, when I'm in the capital of Vientiane, I really love running along the Mekong River. And every time I go back, what was a dirt road becomes a paved road and so forth. But you can easily do, you know, six kilometers plus one way along the Mekong. So I kind of walk towards the river and imagine you're facing it and go right and just run and you'll end up getting close to a water tower near the airport and come back. And that's good for about 6K, but just, you know, running along the Mekong's pretty neat. And then my other one is the island of Dongdang, which is, uh, Dongdang is near Wat Pu, which we've talked about on an earlier show. I stayed at a very nice hotel called La Folie Lodge. I was only there one night. 
And boy, I cycled half the island. It was fantastic. Sleepy place. I'd love to go back. If you go spend a few days, that's a real hidden gem for me. And uh, so let's leave Laos and let's go to Malaysia. Trevor, what's one of your hidden gems in Malaysia? You know, I had a bunch. I, I went to Malaysia first when I was 25 years old and I was hitchhiking and camping pretty much everywhere. Uh, I did start with a rough guide guidebook, but I just ripped all the maps out and, and lost the book because I didn't want to carry it around. Um, so a lot of the places that I discovered uh, were just by dumb luck or by people who told me I should go to some place. So this is one of those, the ones that people told me to go to. Um, it, it's a place called Rajan Jones Guest House. Uh, and it's in an area called Tasik Chini or Lake Chini, which is in central Malaysia. Hmm. And, uh, you know, Rajan Jones, he's also on Google Maps there. So that'll be on the, the show notes. But, uh, back in those days, back in 1995 or 96, when I was there, I took like a local bus to a local bus. And then I got on the back of some guy's motorbike and he drove me all afternoon. And, and I showed up. Uh, I think I talked about this on Tantalizing Travel Tales because I got to Rajan Jones right before it got dark. And he told me, you are so very lucky that I have a room available for you. Uh, cause it was, <laughs> it was in the middle of the jungle, man. And so Rajan, he, he, he married an Orang Asli woman. And the Orang Asli are like the indigenous people who live in, in Malaysia. And uh, Rajan, he takes people around in the jungle and he teaches the visitors how the Orang Asli live off the forest and what plants they use for this and for that and how they use blow darts and whip snares to, to catch jungle rats and barbecue them. And it was a really, really cool place. So I'm glad that uh, Rajan Jones is still in business and he's on the Google Maps and, and people can find it much more easily than I did. Uh, how about yourself? You lived in Malaysia for quite a while. So what do you got for us? Yeah, I have two restaurants and they still like are imprinted in my brain for how great the food run. One is in KL. It's called Sek Yuan and it's been around since World War Two because it's in this kind of semi open air wooden building that's obviously old. And I asked a guy working there who I assume is the owner one time, when did you open? And he said, the Japanese were here, which means that it was mm. World War Two, but there's no English menu. And their duck and some of their other food is incredible. But the, the smoked duck at Sek Yuan, some of the best I've ever had. Another one I really love is called Pak Putra Restaurant. And it mm. serves Pakistani food kind of on the side of the road in Malacca. I've been twice. Some of the best, best, best naan breads, curries I've ever had. Ooh, so these are on the map as well yeah. with everything else that we're sharing. But man, Pak Putra in Malacca is incredible. You know, Malaysian food is definitely like an unsung hero of Southeast Asian cuisine. Because I, I was going to just say, like, you know, there was this place, you know, I went to uh, Borneo to uh, Kota Kinabalu, and we found mm -hmm. this one restaurant that did like uh, Borneo style Malaysian food. That was amazing. But again, there's no way I'm going to be able to tell anybody where this is. Yeah. And it's what I liked about putting together this episode is it was just the things that came to my mind. So in the case of yeah. Malaysia, yeah, there's all kinds of other things, but those two food places just like, boom, popped into my head. Um, so we're going to go to Japan next. And my wife and I, ooh, probably, I don't know, man, maybe about 2016, we went to Japan for a bit. We went to the former royal capital, Nara. And when we were there, we were just walking around the old city and we heard like a little bit of faint jazz music out of this mm -hmm. place in a little alley. And kind of looked at the building and I kind of opened the door and inside was one of the smallest little restaurant bars I've ever seen. Kind of an L-shaped bar with one guy packed in behind it, cooking food and serving drinks. And it was tiny and everyone kind of looked at us and there was two empty seats, but 
barely enough room for a white guy in those two seats. And everyone kind of looked at us nervous and we slowly walked mm-hmm. towards him. Man, we had the most incredible fluffy egg omelet, some other things people shared with us. To go to the toilet, you had to go up like a super, super steep ladder into the roof to use it. <laughs> I don't know the name, but I am posting a photo in our gallery of the sign with my wife and I at us. And a point on Google Maps that is within 15 meters of that place. Oh, so, okay. yeah, my wife and I still talk about it. It's such a magical experience. Great food, great atmosphere. You got to find that place in Nara. That's that's cool that you picked this place for your spot because you know when I was mm. talking about the restaurant in Malaysia that we discovered, uh, Japan I think is the the best country for finding hidden gems. You know, um, mm. for one thing, it's it's such a safe country that you're unlikely to get stabbed while you're wandering down a little alley in the dark, <laughs> you know. And then uh, I find that the Japanese people are really, really into the things that they do. So when you find yeah. a little shop or a restaurant or a bar or whatever, the owner is so passionate about what they do. Uh, that like almost any little hidden place that you find is kind of fun and interesting in its own kind of way. So like, you know, I've been to Tokyo a number of times. I love wandering around Tokyo looking for, for hidden gems. I'm almost never disappointed by finding something kind of cool at, at best, you know, like it's like 50, 50, like 50% of the times I find, Oh, that was a pretty nice place. And then 50% of the times it's like, boom, that's like a legit hidden gem. Like this place is awesome. I'm definitely going to try to find this place again if i come back and and sometimes it's hard and sometimes these places turn over you know they're not there forever um, but i think tokyo is like the hidden gem capital of the world and like you said from nara there's lots of little cool places you're gonna find uh, japan's the best for discovering them on your own yeah you're right one i almost put on here and you put me onto was pinball i went and played mm, pinball in yeah. tokyo and there's a couple of them but yeah you go to a place and there's pinball machines so um <laughs> yeah neat um, my other one for Japan, I, I came upon by accident. I was there working, I think, in 2019 in Tokyo, and I went up to Nagano in the mountains to do two days of downhill mountain biking at a ski resort. So I did one day, and it was raining really hard, and they had half the trails closed because of a kind of a competition that week. So I rode one day, and I decided not worth it for the second day. Well, what's around here? And it seemed that about 45 minutes north of where I was staying, there's this town called Matsumoto. So I just went there. Awesome day out walking around. I think Matsumoto Castle is their largest wooden castle in the country or the oldest, mm. something like that. Uh-huh. But it was amazing. Then I walked around the city and discovered that at the Matsumoto City Art Museum, they have a permanent exhibition by this woman named Yayoi Kusama. And I'd know one of her because she paints a lot of things with polka dots and she has like a bob haircut Mm. that's dyed pink and she lives in a a sane asylum and she has for a long time and she's (laughs) world famous and so i went through this thing and it was incredible all these installations and these wild rooms you walk into and it was really neat and then i also went to two really cool craft breweries where i was there the matsumato brewery nice people there as well as baka brewing which was really cool too so matsumoto this little town like didn't know of it before but man was it ever neat fantastic little city to wander around get a lot of culture and have some tasty beer so uh where would you like to go next trevor you know, I, I was thinking about, I spent quite a bit of time in Bali. I wrote a travel guidebook about Bali. And, uh, you know, like a lot of people, sometimes back in the day, I used to think that Bali was too touristy. And it really is, in many ways, the poster child destination for over-tourism. Uh, but at the same time, like, kind of like Japan, like, I think Bali is kind of a hidden gem capital. You know, like, like hmm. even in the middle of touristy places, there's, like, hidden gems, like, right around the corner. Um, one of these is, is a place called Taba. 
Lebanon market. Um, it's just a little bit north and west of the ultra, ultra touristy beach town of Changu. Um, but Tabanan market, I'd heard that they had a, a buffalo auction there. And so I was like, oh, check that out, you know? And then I went there and they did buffalo horn cupping. You know what cupping is? Mm. You know, yeah, they put a candle on your back and then they put like a cup on top of it and then it creates a vacuum, right? And it sucks these candles to your, to your back, right? It's kind of like a traditional therapy, Chinese medicine and stuff. They do it here in Cambodia, but in, in, in Tabanon market, they did it with buffalo horns. It was crazy. And then they had a snake, cool. they had a snake charmer. Like it was just such a fascinating little place. And, and, and it's not, it's not that far out of the way, but, uh, you know, tourists don't really go there. Neat. Otherwise, like Ubud, I think Ubud is like the, the epicenter of lonely planetivity. Like mm. Ubud is a place where everybody has to go because it's so famous and everybody goes to Ubud and there's all these big tour buses and it's just a, it's a madhouse, you know, but like there's a lot of really cool stuff right around Ubud. Like if you just go a little bit north of Ubud, this is a good place to, to hire a motorbike, put some shoes on and a helmet and, and go explore the villages north of Ubud. Uh, there's a little village up there called Sebatu. Sebatu is, is so cool. It's so, it's so pretty. Um, there's a famous, uh, hot spring and not hot spring, sorry, holy spring. You know, they, they have a very intricate culture that requires holy water for their religious ceremonies. And there's a place that's called, uh, Tirta Empul and Tirta Empul is a, is a holy spring that's very popular with tourists. But there's a Gunung Kawi that's, uh, in Sabatu. So there's a holy spring in Sabatu that has got the same name as the holy spring at Tirta Empul. And so that's why I got confused and went there for like the first time by mistake. And I was like, oh my God, like when, when I compared the two, I'm like, this, this one in Sabatu is just so much more. It's like local. It's real. It's charming. It's not a tourist destination. And that's one of the cool things I like about Bali is just that there are these massive over touristy destinations, but their culture is so, so vibrant and still alive and still authentic that you can still find all these little hidden gems of genuine Balinese culture, uh, right, uh, right across the street sometimes, uh, certainly right around the corner. So I think, uh, Bali is a great place for, for people to, to explore and, and find their own hidden gem. Uh, just one last one of which I had a note here for at, uh, Tirta Empul at the parking lot, like right across the street, I saw this little tiny sign and there's these little stairs. And just now on, on Google Maps, I, I looked at it and it's called the uh, Pura Menjening. And, uh, it's just, it's this charming little holy spring site, uh, where, where people can bathe. And it's got the story I found out about how it's got like Romeo and Juliet, like kind of like romantic. It's like this aphrodisiacal, holy site uh but it's funny because like the the men and the women who bathe there up in the holy springs you, they can kind of peek in at each other so that's where the the aphrodisiac comes from but uh hmm. it, it's kind of it's a cute little spot it's really charming and it's literally like just off the parking lot from one of the most biggest tourist attractions outside of ubud and you'll see a couple of uh of tourists discovering it but uh it's definitely a hidden gem uh that, that people typically don't see Man, those are all really good hidden gems for Bali. Mm. And my experience there is it is so busy and much of it that, yeah, having some hidden gems to go to, that's a, that's a real win. Thanks for mm. sharing those, Trevor. Sure. Uh, the last one, I'm going to go to Nepal and kind of like you in Bali, like Nepal is one that really touches my heart and I could go on about it forever, but places to stay just popped in my head. So I'm going to touch on three places that I've stayed at a few times and I, and I really just love. First one is called Shivapuri Retreat and it's a really neat spot. If you just want a quick escape from Kathmandu, you just head up Lazampat Road to the north end of the city. 
you end up driving up a mountain road into the national park and uh, some friends of mine that have a couple houses. Each house has a couple rooms. They're very comfortable. They serve traditional Nepali food like a dalbat. You can walk around. I believe it's a Tamang village that it's in right there. So you can literally walk out the door and just be out and, you know, step a couple hundred years back in time. You can mountain bike out of there, which I, I did when I spent a couple of weeks there. And you look at Kathmandu down below. So Shivapuri retreat. Really nice place to spend some time. Another place I love is called Newa Chen. And it would be one of the first, I think, kind of like real homestays in the old capital of Patan. So Patan, there's three ancient capitals in the Kathmandu Valley. Patan, you wouldn't really know you're leaving Kathmandu and going to Patan. But uh, it's run by a family. You kind of have to duck under the doorways because they're so small. It's not luxurious, quite simple, but it's a really neat place to spend a couple nights with this family. You have sit in their inner courtyard and have your breakfast and stuff. And yeah, it is a real special place in my heart. The other one I've stayed at once and it's north of Pokhara. So Pokhara is kind of the secondary city. People go there to head off to the Annapurna range. I'm going to probably say this wrong, but it's a Hana Nae, and it must be owned by a Japanese person. It's 17 kilometers north of Pokhara up on, on a mountain. And they're really comfortable, tasteful rooms in kind of stone little houses. And they have an incredible brass onsen tub, which they schedule all the guests a time for you to use it at night with really nice hot water in it. They also serve incredible Nepali and Japanese food. So it's in a small mountain town called Astam. Easy to get to if you're in Pokhara. A little bit luxurious, a little bit pricey, but fantastic. And my last one is an intersection that is back in Kathmandu called Asan. And this is an old trading intersection where six roads meet. I just like to go stand there, maybe get a drink and just like look at people. It's feeling like 300 and 400 years in the past. And that's a magical spot for me. So just go stand and hang out in Asan intersection. So Wow, man, we went from not sure if we had an episode in Hidden Gems to having a ton of Hidden Gems, huh? Yeah, you know, it's funny how diverse they are. But again, like some of those places I was trying to think of, like I couldn't even, like I could take you there. Maybe if you want to go travel with me someplace, we can go explore some hidden gems together. Um, I know there's a whole lot more because even just you're mentioning like a people watching spot. I definitely got some great people watching hidden gem spots here and there around the region uh, that I love to go to. Uh, but that's just one of the great things about traveling is just kind of discovering these secret spots on your own. So, uh, so hopefully our guests get to do that soon. Uh, until then, um, you know, if you want to help us keep the show on the air, you can go uh, visit our website, www.travelasia.com. And there's a link there to donate to the show. Um, even if you just donate a dollar a month, uh, that goes a long way to uh, help us keep going with this show. Yeah. Yeah. Provide that sponsorship. Patrons get special little patron only episodes, some photos, some videos. Mm. Also, make sure you like, rate and review the show on whatever platform you're listening to, please. And be sure to look at the Google map for this episode. We don't have every hidden gem on it, but we have a lot of them on it. And you'll definitely find them with a little bit of effort. So thanks so much for listening. Keep dreaming about travel. And we'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey, Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom and Camp